And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Growing up, I was blessed to attend a Christian school from kindergarten through eighth grade. And one of the particular blessings was that it laid the groundwork for my understanding and exposure to the Holy Scriptures. Part of our weekly homework was the memorization of certain Bible verses. And one verse in particular was emblazoned in my brain through my time there. It was actually the school motto, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That verse was actually out on the sign in front of the school. So for nine years, I read that verse, walking to and from school, playing out on the playground during recess. I pondered that verse as a first grader, as a fifth grader, an eighth grader, and to be honest, I still ponder it today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is a perplexing subject. Should we fear God or should we not fear God? If God is love, what is there to fear? St. John writes in his first epistle, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, he says, and he who fears is not perfected in love. And yet we encounter other verses throughout Holy Scripture that seem to uphold the value of the fear of the Lord, like Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or Proverbs chapter 14 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Time and again in the Scriptures, we encounter people who are filled with fear, filled with the fear of the Lord. And I suspect that time and again in our own stories, we too have encountered a fear of the Lord. What are we to make of the fear of the Lord? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? To better answer these questions, it's important for us to first define what we mean by the fear of the Lord. Sadly, In many pockets of Christian culture, the fear of God has been primarily defined as the fear of God's wrath, which is to say his anger, his judgment. And even more tragic is that this fear of God's wrath is often used as an instrument of motivation for the Christian life, the prime instrument of motivation. Better read your Bible. Why? Because if you don't, you go to hell. Better make your confession. Why? Well, if you don't, you go to hell. Better receive communion at least three times a year. Why? Because if you don't, you go to hell. Worse yet, you can't vote at the annual meeting, and that's even worse than going to hell. (laughs) My goodness, sounds like God is really mad at me. Yeah, in fact, he hates you. And if you don't walk the line, buddy, you're going to drop straight into the inferno. This idea that God has created life as some sort of a cosmic 
American Ninja Warrior, and that if we fail, we don't fall into a pit of water, but we go straight to hell, is at best absurd and at worst a tragic misconstruing of the nature of God, of the true heart of God. Fear of God's wrath or punishment is an effective motivator as far as it goes, and it may, at certain times in our life, play an important role. But it is neither the best nor the truest motivator of the Christian life. Worse yet, it confuses and obscures the nature of God, who is a loving God. More often than not, I, I fear, it is us humans who are creating God in our own image when we prattle on about his wrath and his judgment. That is more a reflection of our own hearts and our own view of the people and the world around us than a description of God's heart. St. John tells us that God is love. And as St. Paul reminds us when he writes to the Corinthians, love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. The psalmist puts things in perspective for us when he writes, God's wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. And again, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the nature of God, who is love. And he has called us not to fear, but to love. We are called to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, not fear him. We are called to love our neighbor as ourself. Love is the best and truest motivator. Love is the divine motive. Love trumps fear at every turn, decisively and definitively, which is why St. John can say that perfect love casts out fear. Love is infinitely more effective, more fruitful, and more motivating than fear. We can see this clearly if we just apply it to our own earthly relationships. Take, for instance, a husband and a wife, and ask yourself, which is more desirous? The husband who serves his wife out of fear that he will be rebuked or admonished? I'm asking what's more desirous, not more real. Or the husband who serves his wife out of his desire to show her how much he loves her? The act of service from the husband can be the very same in both scenarios. The difference is in the motivation, which is internal, not external. Is the motivation one of fear or one of love? Everything that God does is out of love for us. Everything. St. John writes, For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Our Lord has literally gone to the depths of hell out of love for us, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Okay, what then are we to make of this fear of the Lord? What does that look like? What does it mean in its healthiest and truest and most natural sense? St. Luke gives us a window into the nature of this fear of the Lord and a clue that it inspires something in us. A healthy fear of the Lord inspires in the people of God a desire not to run away from him or turn away from him, but a desire to glorify him. 
There are three instances I'd like to look at in St. Luke's Gospel that illustrate this. The first one is in the beginning, that familiar story where we find the shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. We know this from our Christmas pageant. That word fear in the Greek is phobos, where we get our English word phobia. They are filled with phobos, which means that it can be translated sore afraid, greatly afraid, terrified, terribly frightened, filled with fear. The shepherds are filled with phobos. But after they've received the news that the word of God has been made flesh and born in their midst, and they go and visit this baby lying in the manger, we learn that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. In the Greek, that word glorify is doxa, where we get doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. In chapter 5, we hear the story of how Jesus heals the paralyzed man. It's the story where his friends take him up to the roof and lower him down into the room so Jesus will heal him. And after Jesus heals him immediately, the man rose up before them, took up his mat, and he went home doxology, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they were filled with phobos, fear, and they doxology, they glorified God saying, we have seen strange things today. And then finally, in today's gospel reading, we meet Jesus, and he encounters the only son of a widow who has died, and he raises this young man from the dead. And we read that the dead man sat up, he began to speak, Jesus gave him to his mother, and Phobos, fear, seized them all, and they, doxology, they glorified God. There is a pattern in each of these stories. The people are first filled with Phobos, but that fear does not spiral into despair or self-pity or self-hatred or resentment or anger toward God or turn the people away from God. No, quite the contrary. In each case, it leads them immediately to doxology, giving praise and honor and glory and worship to Almighty God. St. Luke shows us that a healthy fear of God is one that inspires in us doxology, praise of God. It is a fear that comes from experiencing a power that is way beyond us, way beyond our control. We feel this power and have this experience in the natural world, don't we? Have you ever been rolled by a really big wave? Or have you ever felt your legs wiggle like rubber from earthquake tremors? In those experiences, there is a visceral and a profound sense of one's own finitude, one's own smallness, one's own weakness. Turns out I'm not the boss of everything. Turns out there's something much greater and larger and more powerful than me. There's a power in nature that is inspiring and beautiful, but at the same time we understand is beyond our control. How much greater is the power of God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth? Even the heavens and the earth are finite. The Grand Canyon, the mighty Pacific, they all have bottoms and edges and corners. 
but not God who created them, who is infinite, eternal, all-powerful. How much greater and powerful and beyond our knowing is God. So consider that the power of God is the same power that created the heavens and the earth. The same power that is able to restore humanity from the grave. The same power that can raise the dead. The scriptures tell us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. That the weakness of God is stronger than men. The fear of the Lord is a fear that comes when we experience even just a glimpse of the scale of the difference between us, God's creation, and God the Creator. I'm sure that you've experienced it in the natural world. Have you experienced it with God? There is an awesomeness that will send chills down your spine. It is not the irrational fear that tempts us to think that God hates us or delights in our destruction or takes pleasure in our suffering or worse yet could care less about us. It is simply the experience of feeling that infinite distance between the power and the being of God and our teeny tiny human existence in comparison. Again, as the psalmist writes, we're like a puff of wind. Our days are like a passing shadow. This is the fear of the shepherds standing in the field in the midst of the glory of God. That instant of realizing that it turns out they really are just a blade of grass. This is the fear of the crowds in today's gospel who experience, they catch a glimpse of the life-giving, death-defying power of the living God in their midst, raising the dead right before their eyes. But it is not just the greatness and the power of Almighty God that inspires us to doxology, to worship. If it were just about his greatness and power, we might not worship him. In fact, there are other religions who believe equally in the greatness and the power of God, but whose motivation still remains very much fear-based. There is something entirely unique about the living and true God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is that the Most Holy Trinity is personal and good. He has come down from heaven to be in relationship with us. He meets us in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our smallness, not to destroy us, but in order to heal us, restore us to life, raise us from the grave. He desires to dwell with us. That's what the shepherds experienced in the manger. Not just the power of God, but this personal experience of God dwelling with them. The word made flesh lying in a manger. The paralyzed man experiences the personal healing touch of the word of God in his midst. And in today's gospel, the Word made flesh, our Lord, is moved with compassion, it says, and he reaches out to touch and heal the dead man. And do you notice that he does so on his own accord? There is no request of him from the crowd. No one is saying, Lord, heal this man, or, or we have great faith, heal this man. No, our Lord simply intervenes in the midst of this tragedy of his own free will with a touch and a word in a very personal way, and he raises this man from the dead 
with the power of God. It is the personal experience of both the greatness of God and the goodness of God that inspires doxology from the people of God. I pray that we would encounter this in our own lives, not just the greatness of God and not just the goodness of God, but the greatness and the goodness of God combined so that we might be stricken with that fear of the Lord that confirms in our own beings how weak we are to his strength, that puts all things in perspective. But it also confirms how powerful his love is for us. So that we might be filled in the depths of our being with a genuine doxology, giving glory to God with joyful hearts all the days of our lives. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.